We turn in the Trinity Psalter hymnal, it's number 296. As we prepare to hear God's word this morning, number 296, how lovely shines the morning star. We're going to sing verses 1 and 2 and 5. Verses 1, 2, and 5 of 296. Let's stand together as we sing. This morning we turn once again to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, 
John chapter 1. We're going to begin our reading today at verse 14 and then read through verse 28 of this chapter. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 14. What we hear now is God's Word. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side has made him known. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they said, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, we continue to use this first chapter of John for our Advent series this year, Advent that time that focuses on preparation uh, for the coming of the celebration of Jesus Christ, that he would come into the world. Uh, We've been using the theme, Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And we saw in John chapter 1, he's described as that light from the beginning, the one who is God, the one who was powerful enough through whom God would create all that there is. We saw last time that God sent a witness to the light. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. A man sent from God, not the light, not the one they were looking for, but one who came to to be a witness to the light. Last time we focused on John and who he was. This morning, what was John's witness about the light? What did he say about Jesus and about his mission? John said, I'm not him. I'm not the one you're looking for. I'm only a voice. He is the word. I'm a pointer. He's the light. So this morning, we look at that witness John gave about Jesus, about who he was, and about his glorious ministry. John begins by by saying that this Jesus is one who is far superior to him. Verse 15, 
John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me. He who comes after me ranks before me. Now maybe we miss some of the significance of that statement. We've been talking in our Wednesday night class about uh, digging deeper into God's Word, understanding certain social conventions of the time. And one of the social conventions of the time was that something that had a greater lineage had more authority. Something that had been around longer was more trustworthy than something that was new. Uh, That's why when uh, Jesus comes teaching, they say, look at this, a new teaching and with authority. That was surprising to them. Because for them, the older, the traditional, was always the better. Now, don't forget, kids, John the Baptist was Jesus' older cousin. John was older than Jesus, not by a lot. But John was older than Jesus, and as such, John and his word would have the priority. But John wants to be very clear, no, no, the one coming after me is far superior to me, which is why he says, he comes after me, but he ranks before me. He's far superior to the words I am bringing to you. He is the word. I'm only a voice, but he is the word. He says, he ranks before me because he was before me. John the Baptist bringing that same testimony that John the Apostle gives of the eternality of Jesus Christ. He is far superior. In verse 27, he says, Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And again, John uses this social convention to speak about the great superiority of Jesus Christ. Uh, It was a time, children, where it was not uncommon for a household to have household servants. Servants that would help to do some of the tasks around the house. And there'd be various tasks these servants could do. But there was one task, there was one task they wouldn't even ask a servant to do. Remember, they're walking around uh, in Israel and the ground is unlike today, rainy, it's very dusty. And their feet would get very dirty. And there were many tasks they could ask their servants to do, but one task they wouldn't even ask a servant to do. And that was to help them take off their shoes from their dirty, dusty, likely smelly feet. Even a servant wouldn't have to do that. So what is John saying? He's saying that most menial task, that task you wouldn't even ask your servant to do, I am not worthy to do for this one who is coming the great superiority of Jesus Christ. The one who would come, who had been promised by God, who would come in that fullness of time. And his work, John says, is far surpasses mine. Verse 26, John answered them, 
I baptize with water. We know in the parallel passage, uh, John uh, expands on that, saying, I baptize with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Again, to highlight the superiority of Jesus. John's baptism would be something merely external. It would be a baptism of water. But Jesus' baptism, that which he accomplishes, is internal. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John's work was preparatory. Jesus was the reality. This is his witness about the light coming into the world. John says, he's so far beyond me, I can't do the most menial task for him. And he is the one who comes with true power. Our text says in verse 16, For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. And John now reflects upon the ministry of Jesus, not just his person, that he was so much greater than John, but the ministry of Jesus. From his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Jesus comes for an abundant ministry to overflow with the grace of God. He comes and from his fullness, from his greatness, from his majesty, from from who he is, will flow a most glorious ministry. He says in verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses. And we know the law is a good thing. John is not saying here the law is somehow bad. We should give up the law. If we have any questions about the beauty, the glory of the law, simply this afternoon read through Psalm 119. As the psalmist over and over again praises God for his statutes, for his testimonies, for his commands, for his rules, for his laws, all of these things a blessing to God's people. No, he's not saying the law is a bad thing. The law came through Moses. Now forget about that. He's saying the law came through Moses. But just like the ministry of John was preparatory for the coming of Jesus, so was the law. The law was that good thing, a wonderful thing, but the law had its limitations. The law could not save them. The law simply didn't work in that way. What the law would do is point out their sin, point out their need for a Savior. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We read earlier this morning. And knowing that truth from the law, we cry out, then how can I be saved? And the law doesn't point us to itself. But the law points us to Christ. The one who has perfectly fulfilled the law. From his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. From the fullness of the ministry of Jesus Christ. The one who came and perfectly kept the law. The one who did that which we could not do. 
He came and perfectly kept the law, and in doing so, he earned, he merited salvation for each and every one of his people. Jesus wasn't simply given salvation. Jesus earned salvation. He came and merited salvation for us. Christ merited the grace that we enjoy. He came and from his fullness, he gave grace upon grace. Abundant, overflowing grace because of the finished work he had accomplished. That was the blessedness of his ministry. To do everything necessary to secure a salvation for his people. And that is still our message today. Is that Jesus Christ is that sinner's savior. We who today still stand under the condemnation of the law. But that law pointing us away from ourselves, away from what our hands can do, that law pointing us to Jesus Christ and what his hands have done. Some people are are turned off by Christianity because they think it's a bunch of do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do this. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Christianity is not about keeping a set of do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs. Christianity is belief in the Jesus Christ who fulfilled the law for us, who did everything necessary. The glory of the gospel is not simply Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5, the Ten Commandments. The glory of the gospel is in John 1, the one who from his fullness, from his complete finished work of obedience, From that fullness, we receive grace upon grace. And that is the call of the gospel once again today. The call from this pulpit is not, do this, don't do this. The call is recognize. Put your faith in Jesus Christ, who has done it all. Who has done everything necessary to secure your salvation. As as you put your faith in him, you have a righteousness not of yourself like Paul says in Romans chapter 3. A righteousness not from the law, but a righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. John was a forerunner of Christ. He could not save. Moses and the law, a forerunner, but they could not save. They would point to the only Savior, Jesus Christ. And what did that Jesus do? We read in verse 18, No one has ever seen the Father. No one has ever seen the Father. Is that right, kids? No one's ever seen the Father? He just talked about Moses. Didn't Moses once say to God, show me your glory? Moses wanted to see the glory of God. And God God would not let him see the fullness of his glory, but God allowed him to see but um, really the back of his glory. No one could see the fullness of the glory of God, who he is and and the perfections and the the perfect plan of the Father. That's what he's talking about. No one one has seen that, that fullness in perfection. But, he says, 
The only God, referring to Jesus, the only God at the Father's side, the Son, has made him known. That's what Jesus does. He comes to reveal the Father. He is the one who is at the Father's side. Elsewhere, John will use that language, being at the Father's side or in the presence of the Father, to speak of his blessing for us. He's like our advocate, one there standing in the Father's presence, defending us. John says that one. That one who is the only God, that one who's at the Father's side, he has made the Father known. He has made the glorious plan of the Father known. Now we just finished up, before this Advent series, uh, we just finished up the first section of the Belgic Confession, where we talked about God revealing himself. And we talked about uh, God being revealed generally, general revelation, God being revealed in creation. And we said that as beautiful, as wonderful, as glorious as that is, creation only tells us that there is a God, that a God exists. But, But studying creation will never tell us the love, the grace, the mercy of that God. No, for that we need more revelation. Special revelation. Revelation that comes through Jesus Christ and through His Holy Word. He is the one who has made the Father known to us. The love of the Father. The grace that comes from the Father. A love so great for the creation He has made that when, when Adam and Eve would leave the path of light, would leave the path of righteousness, would choose to go into the path of darkness, God didn't leave them there. He could have. would have been completely just to say, you had the path open before you and you chose to disobey me. And now you're going to spend forever away from me. God doesn't do that. His grace, his mercy, his compassion, he provides a way a way for fallen mankind to be redeemed, to be restored to fellowship with God. And creation will never tell us that. But the Word of God, the Word through Jesus Christ, most certainly does. A Father who loves us. A Father who cares for us. A Father whose justice and whose wrath were satisfied. But the cost for doing that was the cost of His own Son. You want to talk about God's greatest gift, kids. God's greatest gift. That He sent His Son. He didn't just simply, in the abstract, provide salvation. He sent His Son to come and to pay the price, to bear His wrath, to do what we could not do, and it is that glorious Son who reveals the perfections of the Father, providing a most excellent means of salvation. His grace, His mercy, His love, His compassion, shown to we, His willful, fallen children. Jesus reveals the love of the Father. No one's seen God, He says, but the only God 
the one at the Father's side. He has made him known to us. John's testimony about the light. Who is this Jesus? Last week, who are you? He says, I'm not it. I'm not the one you're looking for. This week, what did he say? That one who's coming is so far superior to me. Superior in, in, in power, in majesty, in glory. As a reminder that there is only one God in whom we find salvation. Christmas is not a time to give people choices about how you'd like to be saved. You can pick Jesus, you can pick something else or something else. There is one way. There is one way of salvation, this superior one, this Jesus Christ, his power, his authority, his efficacy to actually complete the work he came to do. The one whose ministry is filled with grace. From the fullness of who he was, he continues to show grace upon grace to us, his children. And the one who calls us to believe in him, to recognize the plan of the Father. Jesus sent him the fullness of time to fulfill the work the Father gave to him. It is that great witness we are called to embrace. It is that great witness about the light we are called to bring. Sharing this glorious truth of Jesus Christ, his perfections to a fallen and dark world that they too might see Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Let's join together in prayer. Oh Lord God, we thank you for your son Jesus Christ who is the light. We thank you for his perfections. We thank you for his superiority that he brings a perfect ministry. We thank you he's done everything necessary to secure our salvation. And we thank you that through his word, he reveals that glorious salvation to us. May we rejoice, O oh God, that you, the Father, in the fullness of time, sent your Son to come into the world that we might know life. And in him, O oh God, we have life, we have hope, and we have joy. Hear our prayer and accept our praise. For Jesus' sake, amen.